Well, good morning, everyone. It is so great to see you guys here today. We are glad that you decided to jump in with us here at Bridgewater Vestal today. And if, if you are new to Bridgewater Church, I want you to know something unique about us. In fact, today is kind of a, a unique day for you to be here because we are, we are really one church in many locations. Now, currently, six locations, but uh, we are constantly praying. We are constantly working so that we can be in other locations as well. Amen? That was kind of weak. We're going to try that again. Because you guys, like, that's exciting when we can go into other, into other areas, right? Amen? That's, that's what we want. So, you're here on a unique day because we are starting a brand new series that is all about the vision and values of Bridgewater Church. So if you're new, this is honestly, it is a great time for you to be here. Now today, we have a unique uh, way of teaching through God's Word today. You're actually going to have two preachers, so you know, you, you, you got more than you bargained for today, okay? If you didn't know that, well, you're welcome. It's free, okay? Uh, first of all, kicking us off, our lead pastor is going to talk a little bit about our overall vision. Josh Jones is our lead pastor across our whole organization. He's going to talk a little bit about our overall vision, and then I'm going to come back up, with you, up here with you guys and talk a little bit about what I believe God has for us here at Vestal. So, if you would, for the next few minutes, would you put your attention on the screen, and we'll go from there. Temporary. So many things in life are temporary. Trends come and go. Fads are here today and gone tomorrow. For example, I can hardly keep up with the terminology and phrases my kids and their friends use. About the moment I begin to catch on and use the word, it's no longer trendy or popular. And to avoid embarrassing my children and the rest of our young people, I won't give any examples today. But the truth is we're used to things that come and go. Words, expressions, Celebrities, politicians, businesses rise in popularity for a time, then fade away. And while we're sad to see some of these things and people go, we rejoice that others have gone away. And while it's a hard truth to acknowledge, churches come and go too. Once they were full and thriving, now their buildings are dark, dusty, and empty. It is a sad but all too true reality, and throughout its existence, Bridgewater Church has gone through its own highs and lows, at times thriving and at other times on the brink of collapse. But God has seen fit to use this church for over 200 years. What began in 1808 continues today. There's still an anticipation of what God is going to do among us. We still assume God is already at work in the lives of the people who attend our services. And while we do not know what's in store for our church or what the future holds, we do know what we ought to be doing. That's because the instructions Jesus left for his followers have not expired. They still apply today. I believe Bridgewater is a place where people believe that. And that is why God is still allowing us to play a part in changing people's lives. You see, for followers of Jesus, the commands of Jesus don't come and go with the passing of time and neither should our obedience to them. Jesus said he would build his church, and we believe time hasn't dampened his zeal for his church. And we are so grateful for how God is using Bridgewater Church. We continue to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This has been happening because followers of Jesus have been obeying his commands. 
What I mean is that you, the people of Bridgewater Church, caught the vision of what could happen if you truly believed and obeyed Jesus' commands, that you could reach your friends, co-workers, neighbors, and schools with the good news of Jesus Christ. You haven't relied on the pastors or church staff to do it. We have certainly tried to do our part, but that alone doesn't change a community. It takes more than the people on stage or on a staff. It takes everyone who is a part of this church to believe that the same work God did in their lives, he wants to do in the lives of the people they know and that he wants to use them to bring it about. I believe that's why we've been able to celebrate 44 people accepting Jesus as their savior and 42 going public with their faith through baptism so far in 2022. But I wanna urge you to stick with it. We each need to personally commit to do our part and not allow the mission Jesus gave us to take a role of lessening importance in our lives. If we're gonna remain committed to what Jesus gave us to do, we must remember why we exist as followers of Jesus and as a church. So I wanna take you to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, to see what our purpose, our, our why is, as Jesus not only reveals why his followers should be making disciples of Jesus, but also tells them how to go about it. Luke chapter 10, verses one, two, and three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. In this passage, Jesus is sending out a group of his followers, 72 in all. He commissioned them to go to all the places he was about to go. He wanted them to engage with people and prepare them to meet Jesus. They were to go do the work of telling people about Jesus and Jesus would do his part and complete the work they began. But in all that's happening in this passage, this truth is perfectly clear. And this is our purpose. This is our why. God wants to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't send people out for no reason. He was going to change people's lives. He had come to seek and save the lost. He had brought salvation to the world and he was going to use people to deliver it. Jesus gave his followers instructions and they followed them. In faith, they believed and as a result, obeyed. This is how the message of Jesus has spread from generation to generation. Followers of Jesus have for years been doing what Jesus told his followers to do. So if we do what they did, the work will continue. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because somebody did what the people did who were there to hear Jesus give these instructions. And this begs some questions. What did they do? What do we need to do? What is our role in his mission? What are we to do? First, we pray for more workers. We see this in verse two, where he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are to pray that people would rise up and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray that God would ignite a passion in his people to make more and better disciples, that is, followers of Jesus. Instead of praying for an easier job, Jesus says they are to pray for more workers to join them. 
And we today need to pray that same prayer. Notice that it's the workers, not spectators, who pray for more workers. I'm afraid too many of us are praying for somebody else to do a job we are unwilling to do ourselves. So God determines the ends, but he also determines the means. He will send out workers to tell people about Jesus, but he will do it in response to the prayers of those workers. Would you commit to pray that God would send out more workers to make Jesus known? So because God wants to change people's lives, we are to pray for more workers. But that's not all. We also see, and this is the second part of our role in Jesus' mission, we do the work. Verse 3 says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. They were to go tell people about Jesus. So if we do what Jesus told them to do, then we will go and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been sent. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21, when he says that we're ambassadors for Jesus, representing him to the world. So Jesus tells these followers to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Then he sends those very workers out. What this means is that we are the workers and we are the answer to our own prayers. But what is this going to mean for you and me? Think about it with me. At some time and in some way, someone inconvenienced themselves in order to help introduce you to Jesus. And and have even made it a priority to help you grow in your relationship with him. They may have given their time, money, their day off, their comfort, convenience, plans, or, or laid down their preferences in order to help bring you to Jesus. In some cases, they sacrificed all those things. And for what? For this, to watch God change your life. They believed time had not expired on what Jesus commanded them to do. They believed that they should do the same thing these followers did. They believed they had a role to play in God changing your life. And we're so grateful. That's what God is still doing at Bridgewater. He's changing lives and he's using you to do it. The evidence of what God has done in, through, and among us is all over the place. We are so grateful for all God has done, but we're begging him not to stop. And how has all this happened? How did, how did we get there? Why is Bridgewater not closed and faded into memory? What happened was when there was work to be done, ministries to serve in, and people to engage, you didn't look around for who God would use. You looked in the mirror. You stepped up. You sacrificed. You answered the call. You understood that the advancement of the gospel of Jesus multiplies through the sacrifices and efforts of God's people energized by the power and presence of God among his people. So many of you have done your part and we are urging you to keep it up. The work is not finished. Jesus' command to tell people about him is not temporary for us. God is still changing lives and we want to be involved in that. But what that will mean is we will always stay one or two steps ahead of comfort. Our faith that God is still changing lives means we've got to obey Jesus' command to tell people about him. And as we watch him change lives, our faith grows. And this prepares us for greater and more costly levels of obedience. You see, great faith always results in great obedience. And I wonder, 
what God wants to do next through the people of great faith and obedience who make up Bridgewater Church. It's fun to dream about it, but we will obey and we will do our part and let God determine what he does through us. So let me urge you once again to pray for more workers and, and to do the work. Why? Why would we do that? Because God wants to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His zeal has not faded and his commands have not expired. Let's together resolve to obey so that we can continue being a part of God changing people's lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I promised you a two-for-one deal, so now you get to hear from me, all right? In line with what Josh had to say, I am simply going to ask you to consider Bridgewater Church. I'm going to ask you to consider doing two things. They're actually quite simple, so when we get there towards the end, uh, you, you, you know that, that those are the only two things that I'm asking you to consider working on, okay? But before I get there, I want to tell you a couple of stories. In fact, I want you to, to meet a couple of people that I believe God specifically put in my life, okay? The first one is a man named Dale, Dale Falky, if we can bring that picture up. This is Dale and his wife. Uh, we call her Chatty, but... Kathy, she's super quiet, so we call her chatty. Makes a lot of sense. When my wife and I bought our first home, uh, many of you know we moved from Kansas City, and so, of course, Dale is a Chiefs fan. So, you know, you guys are real excited about that around here, right? Yeah, it's, it's good. When, when we bought our first home, Dale and chatty lived right across the street. And um, I have found that people aren't always willing to have conversations with me when they find out that I'm a pastor. You ever experience that? It's like the minute I tell somebody I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, cool. I didn't do anything. I don't have anything to say. I go to church all the time. All right, I, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. So when I met Dale, I told, he asked me, hey, Aaron, what do you do? And I said, oh, I own a tree company because I did. And I just didn't tell him because I wanted to build a relationship with him. Not long after, I got found out in my neighborhood. Someone in our neighborhood showed up at our church, and then they started telling everyone in our neighborhood that, hey, he's actually a pastor. So Dale, you can't tell it here, but Dale was a Marine, okay? And when I first met him 18 years ago, this guy was, I mean, he's just, he's, he was swole, okay? And he showed up on, out in my front front uh, lawn. His hand would swallow my hand. He's got tattoos all over, rides a big loud Harley. Not that there's anything wrong with that because I love it, but you know, the dude scared me. He did. He just scared me. So he comes walking over because he found out that I was a pastor banging on my door and he goes, hey, I just found out you're a pastor. Is that true? You can imagine how this went, right? <laughs> My answer was, well, yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes, that's fine. Actually, it's probably cool, but whatever you do, just don't push me. I'm like, trust me, brother. <laughs> I, I've got no plans to push you, okay? Little by little, Dale and I became friends. 
And for 10 years, 10 years, I prayed and prayed and prayed and invited and worked and prayed. And after 10 years, I even told my wife, I hit this spot where I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm not praying anymore because I don't see any movement. And of course, you know how the Holy Spirit works and he just slaps you upside the head and says, what in the world are you thinking? And so I kept praying. Now I want you to know, God has moved and God has worked in his life, but I'm not gonna tell you that part of the story yet. Somebody else I want you to meet. Her name is Donna. Donna, if we can pull up that next slide, is here on the right as you're looking at the screen. I met Donna about 11 years ago. Donna um, has, has had a rough life. Um, family members struggling with, with drug addictions and all sorts of things. But Donna's husband, his name is Roy, and 11 years ago, Roy passed away. And I had the privilege of working with a lot of the local funeral homes and uh, with families that didn't, didn't have any connections to a, a pastor or whatever. And they called me and asked if I would meet with Donna. And so I stepped through everything with Donna for her husband's funeral. You can imagine Donna, Donna is in her 60s right now. So at, at about the age of 53, she lost her husband. And it was hard. And Donna cares for her daughter who now, uh, so Donna is 64, she has a 41-year-old daughter who has cerebral palsy, and she has to care for her full-time. And when I met Donna, she could barely look me in the eye. And over the years, I kept, I kept you know, just texting or calling and just checking up with her, seeing how she was doing. And time and time again, it was amazing how God would, would have me call at just the right time. And finally one day she said, can I just come up and see you? She came into my office. She sat down. She's bawling. I mean, not, not just, I'm talking ugly cry, okay? I'm talking like I knew there was, did, did you murder someone? Like, And she started telling me about all of her guilt and her shame from her past. She told me, and we, we, you know, we had never talked about this at all, but she told me she felt that God hated her because she had an abortion when she was a teenager. And that God could never love her. Oh. And we got to sit there and talk about the fact that God does love her just as she is. I'll tell you more of Donna's story here in a minute. There's one other person I want you to meet. Her name is Alex. This is Alex Charchel. And Alex showed up at, at our previous ministry probably five years ago. She was a teenager. She came from a broken home. Her life was a mess. Her family was a mess. She had no one. In fact, she had a whole season of her life where she didn't have any place to stay, and she ended up living with my wife and I and our family. She didn't have hope at all. And little by little, people from our church started loving on her, caring for her, providing for her, just filling up her truck with gas so she could drive to school because she didn't have parents that would drive her to school around, you know. And little by little, when the people of God 
obeyed the commands of God, God started changing her life. You see, Bridgewater, the two things I'm going to ask you to do today stem out of the reason that my wife and I decided to pack up our family and move here. Some of you have asked me, why in the world would you move 1,200 miles? We have been in Kansas City, same ministry, for almost 18 years. Why would we pack up? Why would we move? There is one very clear answer to that. It's because what we've seen here is a group of people who will do anything and everything to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to be a part of that. So if you want to know why I'm talking to you about this today, it's because I have skin in the game. And I want to see God use us mightily. You see, here's what I believe, and here's what we're going to talk about today. It's the thing that Josh said. For followers of Jesus, the commands of Jesus don't come and go with the passage of time, and neither should our obedience. So Josh talked to us and told us we need to pray for more workers, right? And we need to be willing to do the work. So let me take you back to the text, and I'm going to show you a little bit of the context to it. This is the text that Josh brought up in, in Luke chapter 10. In verse 1, it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, Josh did a great job explaining this. I, I don't need to take more time on this, but I do want you to notice those first two words. It says, after this. Why is that there? It's there because in the context, like right before this, he had talked to them about some things that if they weren't careful would get in the way of them, you know, actually praying for and doing the work. He had given them some examples of things that would stop them, that would discourage them, that would slow them down. And Bridgewater, I don't, you know, church, I don't ever want these things to get in the way for me. I, I feel like they can at times but I don't want them to get in the way for you either. So let me show you those verses before. If you have a Bible open, I'm just backing up a couple of verses. I'm going to back up to verse 57 of chapter 9. Here's what it says. As they were walking along the road, this is Jesus and those 72 at least, probably more of them there. But as they're walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you will go. Ever heard somebody say something like that? I'm in, I'm all in, I'll do whatever. And then as soon as somebody explains to them what whatever is, they're like, nah, I'm good, bruh. You know? Ever, ever heard that? That's kind of what happens here. He says, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. So how does Jesus respond? I think Jesus responds in a way that to us in, in our American society, it feels a little bit odd, but, it, but it's actually very compassionate. Let me show you. In the very next verse, in verse 58, he says this, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, he says, count the cost. You need to realize exactly what you're getting into. If you're going to follow me, you need to realize what it's going to cost you. He's, he's saying, I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to have any place to live. I'm not going to, you know, eventually, if you really follow me, it's going to lead down some dark and difficult roads. So I want you to be aware. If you're a believer here today, if you think that following Jesus just means smooth sailing and comfort, I'm sorry. That is not the call. So here's the reality. 
I think in these next couple of verses, there are three mindsets that will hinder the work that Josh was calling us to, and more importantly, that Jesus calls us to. Here's the first of those three mindsets. The mindset that goes, I'll follow Jesus, but I don't want it to cost me. I don't want it to cost me my job. I don't want it to cost me out of my finances. I don't want it to demand life change of me. I don't want to have to go out of my way to to get involved with others. Jesus tells this man, count the cost. Now, I, I feel this. Can we just be honest with each other for a minute? I feel this. I don't like it when things cost me. I'm a saver, okay? So, like, if I can, if I feel it's going to cost me, oh, man. And this past week, my wife and I have walked through some hard things. We had a problem with the sale of our, our, our business. The, the phone company lost my phone number for my business. Really exciting, right? So I spent lots and lots of hours dealing with that. And one of the times that we were in at the phone company talking with people and trying to get this fixed, there was a woman in there and she was obviously in distress. And I will tell you, God worked in an incredible way through my wife because I was so focused and intent on getting things fixed. And I I couldn't even sit. And my wife just stepped over and started talking to this lady. And when we left, she said, man, I really just wanted to pray with her, and I was so broken right then and there because I was like, I couldn't think of anything but fixing my problems. And here she was, paying attention to somebody else. Sometimes it will cost us. And if we have the mindset that I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost us, then I'm going to tell you, we're, we're not going to accomplish what God has set out for us. That's not all, though. Look at what else occurs in verse 59. Jesus talks to another man, it says, and he, he, he says to this man, he says, follow me. But the man replied, he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And that sounds good, right? But the reality is his father's not dead, okay? That's not what's going on. This is not Jesus, you know, in the next verse. Or let, me, let me show you what it, what it says. The next verse, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus is not being insensitive, This man wanted to go back and wait until his father had passed and then go and follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, if you're really going to follow me, it's got to be your priority. If you're really going to follow me, helping other people know Jesus has to be your priority. And I know that that's uncomfortable and I know that there are times that I have, I can, I can allow there to be other priorities, but the reality is there's a mindset that could get in the way and could stop us, and it's this. It's the mindset that says, I'll obey, but Jesus and, and his gospel and helping people know him is not going to be my priority. Man, how, how often can we get caught up in the day-to-day? We work hard. We want to go home and rest. We want just a little bit of time to ourselves. And I know, I get it. But the reality is, listen, we have a very short life. Eternity is long. This life is short. And I want to take as many people into eternity face-to-face with Jesus with me as possible. Church, I hope you'll join me in that. I hope you'll think about people like Dale and Donna and, and Alex that are in your life. They just happen to be in mine. Now let me show you the end of the chapter, 
chapter here. In verse 61, look at what happens. Still, another one says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. That seems reasonable, right? But Jesus responds in a unique way. Look at, look at what he says. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Essentially what he's saying is, if you start, if you start following Jesus and then you find yourself looking back to the old life, looking back to the old things, looking back to the old way, and you kind of, yeah, I'd really like to go back to some of that. That's not following Jesus. So the third mindset that will hinder the work is this. It's a mindset that says, I'll get involved as long as it doesn't get in the way of my lifestyle. I'll follow Jesus. I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require that I change my approach to my lifestyle. And again, I'm not even going to pick out any of those. That could be any number of things. But I'll tell you, following Jesus is absolutely going to mess up your lifestyle. It's going to change you. So what do we do? Well, back to the passage that Josh led us through in verse 2 of Luke 10. It says this, Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 3, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. So he's calling us to do some very simple things, to pray and to obey and go. So the reality is, back to what I first you know, started with, for followers of Jesus, the commands of Jesus don't come and go with the passage of time, and neither should our obedience. So God put these three people in my life. God put Dale, if we can put his picture up there, God put him in my life. He, as my neighbor, you know, he showed up. And he knocked on the door. And even after 10 years of praying for him, and I hit that point where I said, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then God convicted me, and I, I prayed again. And we had this men's retreat. And I invited Dale. And for some reason, actually, I know what it was. He hit rock bottom. Dale was struggling with drugs pretty quietly. And he kind of finally hit a spot where he realized he was going to wreck his life. And he came. He rode down with me in the truck to the, to the men's retreat. We got there. We ate a meal immediately. He connected with another guy. The guy's name was Paul. They just hit it off and became friends. Then we went down and we had a bonfire. And, and, and another guy, not me, taught at this men's retreat. And he dealt with every single issue that Dale and I had talked about on the road down. And Dale looked at me, he pulled me to the side, he goes, did you go tell him everything that I just said? I said, no. I didn't say a word to him. And Dale put his faith in Jesus Christ, and I got to baptize my 55-year-old Harley-riding, you know, cigarette-toting, Marine Corps, you know, vet, neighbor because God wants to save people just like him sitting in my office with Donna she wept and she poured out her heart and she said there's no way God could ever forgive me 
And she got to hear about how when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he also nailed every piece of our sin and canceled our debt. (laughs) And she sat there and she wept and she prayed and asked for forgiveness. And I know she got it that day. And then Alex. This is the day she went public with her faith. This is a day I'll never forget. Because Alex got a new spiritual father and a spiritual family that day. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you it's worth it. I'm telling you, if you and I choose to realize that this statement for followers of Jesus, the commands don't change with the passage of time, and neither should our obedience, if we will choose to do these two things, to pray for more workers and to do the work, then I'm telling you, God will change lives. So let me ask you, to do two things. These are the two things I'm asking you here at Vestal to consider for the next year. Number one, would you pray that God would use you to reach one person this year? That's it. Would you pray that? Would you pray that God would use you, that God would put a Dale or God would put a Donna or God would put an Alex in your life? Would you ask him and not stop praying until he does? I'm not asking you a lot. Would you do that? Number two. Would you do the work with that one person so that we must go to two services sometime in this next year? So that this place is so full that we have to make room. Now, there's a number of reasons why I would ask you to do that. That's not about me. That's not about us. That's not about our name. That's about the fact that when somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, we know their eternity is secure. But it's also about our volunteers who are, who are working so hard week in and week out. And if we can get to two services, then we can be at a place where you can attend one and then you can serve one. And then God will allow us to continue to multiply the work. And then just maybe we'll be planting another campus out of here. You want to talk about excitement? It starts with a, a simple commitment. To pray that God would use you to connect with one. And then to be obedient. To tell him. That is what I am asking you. I'm asking you because I believe that there's a Dale in your life. I believe that there is a Donna in your life. I believe there is an Alex in your life. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for loving us this much. Thank you that that you have brought this forgiveness into our lives and that you've made it available 
And thank you that we can do the same for other people, God. God, I pray that pray that you would use us mightily. I realize that maybe there's already people who come to our mind that are in our lives. God, I pray that you'd help us to pray for them faithfully. I pray that we would be able to be a blessing in this community so that lives would be changed. Please use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.